Well, we come to the second part this morning of our series looking at the parable of the lost son. We are going to, over three weeks, look at this parable from three different perspectives. We started last week by looking at the younger son uh, and saw for him he had a search for happiness. He was discontent with where things were, so he moved on and uh, tried to find happiness elsewhere. It was about this individual desire to make himself and do what he wanted for himself. And we see how it doesn't work for him and how he ends up coming back to the Father, still coming back in his own strength, but coming back to the Father who loves him and greets him with a hug and restores him to a position of sonship. We come today to look at the elder brother. Uh, and if there's one thing to say about the elder brother, perhaps we could sum it up with a response, it's not fair. We're going to watch a short clip, it's about two minutes long, of, um, it's called a millennial job interview. Uh, and it's idea, this idea that the people of a certain age, called millennialists, um, have a sense of entitlement. Um, but watch out particularly for the way that misunderstanding goes on in this. Amy, it says you are trained in technology. That's very good. Are you adept at Excel? No. PowerPoint? No. Publisher? Not really. Exactly in what area of technology mm -hmm. are you proficient? <laughs> Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, Vine, Twitter, you know, the big ones. I'm surprised you didn't say Facebook. <laughs> That's for old people, like my parents. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Amy, when you're working for me, you have to have those kind of research skills because I'll send you things for you to comb through and get the answers and send them to me. So for that, you've got to be really good at technology. For stuff like that, no problem. I'll just ask Siri. You'll just ask Siri? You know, Siri tell me this, Siri find me that. We're all good getting you the answers. Tell Siri I want you ready to go at 8 sharp each and every morning. I don't understand. What don't you understand? What you just said. You don't understand be ready to go? No. You said 8, right? Yes. Eight, like, in the morning eight? Yes, in the morning. Yeah. That kind of doesn't work for me. Who gets up at eight? I do. I Skype with my French boyfriend in Paris until like three in the morning. I don't even get to Starbucks until like 10 where I order my grande chai tea latte, three pumps, skim milk, white water, 2% foam, extra hot, but not too hot. So if it's okay, I work best in the morning at 10.45. <laughs> Wow. Amy, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. Why are you so negative? I can sense your hostilities, and right now I am not feeling very safe. I've been here for over five minutes, and the only nice thing you have said to me was nice resume, which I typed all night for this meeting with you. You've given me no guidance, no validation, no encouragement, no supervision. Is there an HR director somewhere? HR director? Yes, I need to speak to someone. I may have to take off today as a mental health day. Take today off? You, Amy, Amy, look at me. You don't work here. 
Are you firing me? Okay, yes. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did when I watched it. And you see here, don't you, a complete misunderstanding between uh, the interviewer and the interviewee. Uh, they're not on the same wavelength at all. Uh, and as we come to this, um, the elder son, there's a clear distinction here between the father who is on one wavelength and the elder son who is on a completely different place. What does it mean to be the elder son? Where might we find points of identity in being the elder son? It's not fair, comes the complaint, the cry that perhaps parents have heard through the generations from their children. It's not fair. To be the elder son is to be complaining about how things are. To be the elder son, there is a sense of negativity. To be the elder son, there is a sense of blindness. To the situation. Uh, so we're going to look at these three words, complaining, negativity, and blindness, to explore something about the parable of the lost son from the elder son's perspective, and perhaps to see points where we might understand and learn from this parable for us today. So first of all, complaining. Um, I came across this cartoon, uh, Calvin and Hobbes it's called. Uh, the first part of the cartoon is Hobbes crying, why can't I stay up late? You guys can. It's not fair. Uh, the father's response is, the world isn't fair, Calvin. And Calvin says, I know, but why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? You see, that's how it sometimes feels, isn't it? When things are going against us, why can't things just be unfair in my favor for once? Why does it always favor other people? That's what the elder son is coming to with a complaint to his father. We read this in verse 28 and 29. The older brother becomes angry and he refuses to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Complaining. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Well, he's basically not happy with what the father has done. Now, I said last week, when we are looking at this parable, for some people it will be very familiar, but what we're trying to do is to get into the idea of how would they have first heard this story so that we can understand what would have meant to them so that we can then apply it to us. Now, one of the things we need to understand is, who is this parable written to? What, who is Jesus addressing at this time? We learn that at the beginning of chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, that's to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they're complaining about Jesus. Did you know, it's interesting, 
um, just so you know exactly who Jesus is talking to here, um, when he talks about the elder son, the word that is used in Greek is presbyterios. Uh, and that is actually the elder. Uh, and who were the people who were religiously over the people at the time? The elders. You know, he's making it quite clear here. Who is the elder brother? The elder brother is like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes, the elders of the country, the elders of the nation. He, he's speaking to say, look, understand this. Understand the complaining that is going on, and I will tell you what the Father's heart is and what the work of the Father is. Now, what we see here is that the elder son doesn't get it, and he's complaining. Uh, and the first thing that I just want to ask us today is there may be times in our lives where we don't get or don't like what God is doing. You know, life circumstances can be so unkind and unfair and unhelpful to us that we just want to cry out, it's not fair. Why is this happening to me? It, it may be to do with health. There can be things in our health. Why am I suffering like this? You know, maybe I've done all that I can to stay fit. I've eaten well. Uh, I've kept fit. I've done all sorts of things. I've done what I can, uh, and I'm ill. It's not fair. Perhaps it might be to do with work. Uh, and actually, why haven't I got the job? Other people seem to get a job okay. It's all right for them. It's not fair. It might be to do with other things. It might be to do with family. Why are things in my family not working out? I've loved my family all the time, and yet this is happening, that's happening, whatever. It's not fair. Why do I get overlooked with the gifts that I have when other people get called to service? It's not fair. Why am I not appreciated? Other people are being appreciated all the time. Why am I always overlooked? And so the complaint can go on and on. It's not fair. I don't like what's happening. Why can't it be different? Maybe some of you here today identify with that, that feeling that life just has not dealt you a fair hand. Life is not fair. See in these last verses how the father comes to the elder son he comes out to him and says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. My son, the word there that is used is, a, is an unusual word for, for son in this context. He, he uses the word technon. Uh, and actually what that refers to is, we could understand it as my dear child, my loved child. You see, what he's coming to the eldest son and saying is, you think everything isn't fair right now. You're looking at life and saying, things are not as it should be. And the father comes and says, my dear child. And it may be that you are here today and it feels like life isn't fair. It may be that you don't like what God is doing. And God the father comes to you and says, my dear child, my dear child. Uh, and what we understand just in that address is how much the father loves the elder son as well. 
And maybe if you're here struggling with that unfairness, thinking, God, where are you? Maybe what God wants to say to you today is, you're my dear child. And what God wants to reveal to us today is in the unfairness of what we feel we're facing, in the heartache of what we have to go through. The father says, my dear child, can we sense the love of the father even when things are going wrong? That's what we need to hear, something we can hear from this parable. God always says, my dear child, even when things seem unfair, the complaining son. As the complaint develops, we see something else as well. We see negativity. I want to show you a picture as we come on to this. Uh, just to sum up some of what's going on, we're in the middle of the holiday season now, and as holiday season hits, there's a certain level of disruption already that we're hearing about. Uh, I've been reading in the newspaper this week about uh, at Heathrow, I think there was a technical glitch uh, that led to 17 hours or something of delays for some people. We've also heard in the news there are going to be various strikes. I think um, BA staff um, and Ryanair staff talking about strikes this month. Disruption to what we expect. And you know, when life goes on and we get disrupted from what we expect to happen, it's not welcome. Uh, and the elder son, he, he's got things all sorted out with how things are at this particular point. The, the younger son has left. He's gone. He's taken his share of the inheritance. He has his share of the inheritance, although he doesn't have all the authority over it. Still, the father has that authority. Everything is planned out about what's going to happen next. And then the younger son returns. And everything changes because he was the only son with the father before. And now the father is welcoming back the younger son and saying, look, I've got two sons again. Disrupted from what he has expected. And it leads him to negativity. Let's look at what verse 30 it says. But this is, continues the complaint. When this son of yours, notice he doesn't say when my brother returns. This son of yours, in other words, he's no brother of mine. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property away with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Not a young goat for me, but a fatted calf for him. Not fair. And look at the negative view. How does he know his brother's been with prostitutes? Where does it say that? You see, it's interesting, isn't it? Earlier on, we, we sometimes associate this, and some of our translation comes um, because it talks about him squandering the money with wild living. Uh, actually, uh, I mentioned this last work, the wild living uh, refers more to the fact that he's just spending money freely all the time. He's not looking after it. It's just uh, he's, he's scattering the money around all over the place. That's the heart of what's being said. He's scattering money around all over the place. Uh, and some commentators, I was interested to read uh, one this week uh, from Kenneth Bailey, he argues that what he's using the money for, probably how they would have understood it at the time, is he's using the money to establish a reputation for generosity. Perhaps we can understand this because of what it says in Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Uh, and so what's being suggested is he's using the money to try and get other people to think well of him so that he's accepted as part of the new society that he's part of. 
That's not how the older brother sees it, though. You know, he's not spoken to his younger brother. He's not spoken to his father to find out what's happening. He's just saying he's, he's gone off and spent the money with prostitutes. That must be what he's done. He's wasted the money. He's got nothing. Very negative view. I just wonder sometimes if to be the elder brother is partly to look at others negatively and see the worst in them. It it can be a human trait that we have. We can look at other people and we can either see the best in them or we can see the worst. The elder brother doesn't like what the younger brother has done and so he sees the worst in him. I wonder. Well, I don't wonder. I know actually. Sometimes I think churches can be guilty of being like an elder brother and seeing the worst in people, particularly those who come and don't seem to fit in, particularly those people who are the ones who were lost and come back in and they don't quite fit in with how we normally do things in church. Uh, And actually people can be looked at quite negatively. I mean, this is more of a, uh, an amusing example than anything else, but I do remember, I think things have changed a little bit, that um, a few years ago I, w- I was somewhere and somebody um, commented to me after a time about being very frustrated with somebody because they were clearly on their phone for the whole time that the person was speaking. Uh, and what actually I knew, because I'd been sitting quite near the person at the time, was they'd been reading the Bible on their phone, they got an app. You know, but it was in the days before lots of people had it on the apps. Now it's probably a lot more common, but the other person just thought, they're not concentrating. They're not looking. at It's wrong what they're doing. They saw the worst in it. You know, and actually I think in churches, we can be very good at seeing the worst in others and what they do. You know, we might not say it to them because we're very polite after all, aren't we? But, you know, it's amazing what we can convey in a look. And I see looks at times, you know, where we, we can look at things and say, oh, that's bad, that's wrong. Yeah, and we can be tutters as well, can't we? You know, they, oh. you know, almost said under our breath, except I do remember that classic occasion where I was somebody uh, and the person who was doing it was deaf. And they thought they were doing the tut under their breath, but I can tell you they weren't. You know, we can be tutters, we can be, we can be those who look with disapproval. We don't say anything because we're too polite to. I read a quote in some of the reading that I was doing, and I couldn't find again where, where it came from. But the quote went something like this. We should pray that the prodigal meets the father before they meet the elder brother. Uh, and what they were saying, the context in which they were saying it, was actually when people come into the church, sometimes they will find the elder brother. And we better pray that they meet the love of the father before they meet the, the elder brother. That's not how it should be. That's not how it should be. Uh, And actually, one of the things that I just want to encourage and challenge us with is is one of the things we're doing as we we go out to Mousehold Hub and as we're reaching out to people in a cafe environment and as we as a church are saying that we understand that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. We're not just about being here. We're going out and encouraging other people to come in, that there will be people who don't do things the way we do it, who don't see the world the way we see it, who don't perhaps use Christian language all of the time. They're the sort of people that those of us that have been around in Christian circles circles might tut at, but actually what those people need is to recognize that they are loved and to meet the love of the Father. Uh, And I just wonder sometimes 
for us? Is there anyone or any group of people or just a general attitude that we have that we might need to be people who pray that actually we will see others through the eyes of a loving father, not through the eyes of the elder brother? Because actually there's something in us that can easily see people through the eyes of the elder brother. But that's not who we want to be. And as I say, I, I, I say these things and so much of what I share is because of the way it challenges me. And I have to ask that question of myself. In what ways do I look at other people through the eyes of the elder brother rather than seeing as a loving father? Maybe something for us to reflect on and pray about. The third word that we want to, I want to go on and look at, the final thing, is about blindness. I, I thought, you know, we've talked so far about complaining. We've talked about negativity. What will people want most next of all? And I thought, I bet what people would love to watch is how a penguin in the Falklands responds to coming across a territorial duck. Well, maybe not. No, no, I can see some shakes. That wasn't what you were thinking right now. But I'll tell you, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> Here you go. Here's the, here's the penguin. This duck is being quite territorial. How is the penguin going to respond? <laughs> Isn't that great? It made me laugh anyway when I saw it. You know, just this idea. Here's a territorial duck. What's the penguin going to do? Just slip away sideways. You know, the elder son, uh, as we look at him, he's angry. He's out there. He's not coming to the party. He's staying aloof from everyone else. What would be the temptation to do when someone is angry? I wonder if any of you have ever been tempted to do this when you see somebody else who is angry, who's frustrated. You know that if you go and speak to them, you're likely to hear complaints. What would I choose to do? Has anyone acted like the penguin at all? I mean, maybe not literally, but you know, that kind of surreptitious, just kind of moving away, giving them a wide berth. I'll, I'll come back and talk to them later. Not the father. The father doesn't do that. The father comes out to his elder son straight away. He hears that he's not coming in. He, he must understand that he's angry. So he comes out and, uh, and the elder son gives him the complaint. He says, you know, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You can get the, it's not fair, something of the anger that comes out in this statement. You know what the problem is for the elder brother? I think there's a certain amount of blindness of what's going on. You know, uh, Jesus didn't give this story that he told, the title, the parable of the lost son, that's what we've done to it. Uh, and actually, I think it's the wrong title, to be honest with you. You know, so often we spend our time focusing, and if people talk about this parable, the parable of the lost son, we just think of the first part, as we looked at it last week, we just think of the younger son coming to the lov loving father. Uh, and the elder son bit is almost like a bit of an add-on, you know, and we don't always focus on it at all. We don't need it there in the parable. Uh, and yet... As I said, this is actually a parable told to the people who are complaining to Jesus. You know who's blind at the time of Jesus as well to what God is doing? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law. You don't understand, they just don't get it. Uh, and actually the elder son here doesn't get his own disobedience. 
of what's going on. Let me give you a couple of examples of what might have been expected to happen at the time. First of all, did you know the second person in authority after the father was not the mother? You know, we might assume that it would be the mother, or actually we might assume in some cases that the mother is the first point of authority. But actually in biblical times, the father was the point of authority. The second point of authority was not the mother, it was the eldest son. You know what the eldest son's responsibility was when the younger son said he was going to leave? The elder son should go and speak to the younger son and tell him, look, you're making a mistake, this is all wrong. He should be the person who's kind of the, the diplomat, if you like, to smooth things over and get the younger son not to do something stupid. No evidence of that in the story at all. He doesn't fulfill his elder son responsibility. Later on in the story, again, what would have happened is when there was uh, a party being thrown and there's a fatted calf that's been uh, killed in order to celebrate, this is a special party, normally what would happen is that the elder son might be expected to serve the special guest at the table. You know, it wouldn't be the same as a servant because a servant can't take part in the conversations, couldn't sit down, wouldn't eat. But actually, the elder son would serve the special guest. In effect, what they were saying, the father was saying is, look, this is how special you are. My eldest son is serving you. Can the eldest son face serving the younger son, his brother? Not at all. So he's not going to do what he's supposed to do. Uh, and imagine, because I think this is something that we can understand in our culture. If we had a member of our family when we've got a party come, going on, and they come in and they decide, I'm not coming in there because I don't want to see them, I'm staying outside, what would we think of that? Rude. And certainly it was rude at the time. It was a great insult to the father. You know, the younger son insulted the father with what he said and what he did. So does the elder son by refusing to go in and take on his responsibilities of being an elder son. In fact, what they would have heard at that time, what they would have expected is the father to rush out to the older son and punish him so that he wouldn't lose face in front of everyone else. The elder son should be punished. You see, both sons are lost. The only difference between them is the younger son knows that he is lost and comes to the father. The older son doesn't understand that he's lost and he comes in resentment to the father. He's blind to the spiritual reality of his relationship with the father. In fact, he is also the son that is involved as well, just like the younger son, in trying to do things in his own strength. You know, look, I've been obedient to you. I've done everything that you have asked. You know, it's all about what I do. And you've missed the fact that actually for the father, it's not just about obedience, it's about a loving relationship. He's blind to what is going on. He's blind to it. Uh, and actually, I just wonder, maybe there are those of us here today who need new sight because we're blind to what the father is saying. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Well, it is to me, at least. Hopefully, it will be to you as well. Where the way the parable ends. It, it's right at the end of the page in my book. It's uh, my f son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I kind of want to turn the page and say, what's the, what's the elder son's response to this? But it's not given. 
Because actually in the parable, what Jesus is trying to do is say, what's your response? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law are saying, why do you eat with sinners? Why do you meet with them? Why do you treat them so well? It's not fair. And Jesus explains, look, I love you, my child. But I have to celebrate because they were lost. They were dead and now they're alive. And it's left hanging there with the question, do you get it? Do you understand? And the tragedy is, as we follow the story through, we see that they don't get it because that's why Jesus ends up crucified on the cross. But the question for you and for me is this, do we get it? Do we get just how much we are loved by the Father? Do we get that it's not just about the morality that we have and the things that we do, but the fact that we are in relationship with the Father? Do we get it? Do we get that actually sometimes there are things that are happening that we may not like, that we say, God, why are you allowing that to happen? And God says, my child, I love you. Do we get it that whilst we might look negatively at other people and see the worst in them, our God knows the worst in them, but loves them just the same? Do we get it? And are we going to live in light of that? Are we going to live as a father who loves both of his sons? Or are we going to be lost like either of the sons, going away completely or being so religious that we've lost sight of the relationship with the father? Or will we get it and say, yes, I understand and I live in light of that? My prayer is that we will understand together that we won't be people who are complaining or negative or blind, but that we will understand the love that God has for us, that we will see the best in others as the Father does, and that our eyes will be opened to what he wants us to see. Amen.